that I was here, but uh, glad that I uh, could be here. And just to give you a, a little bit of an update on what's happened in RUF since the last time you've seen me. And, and again, even if you don't, who, who knows? I'm just curious, who knows what RUF is in this room? Probably like two-thirds, half. I, who knows what IUP is? basically a lot more people. Um, well, RUF, just briefly, is basically our, this church's denomination's campus ministry. In a way, you could actually say that RUF is New Life's college ministry at IUP. It, with the way that uh, the Presbyterian church works as a connectual, connectional network of churches, I'm really being sent out by all the churches in our presbytery to be an evangelist and missionary on IUP's campus, and I'm starting the work from scratch, came, came to town about three years ago, and about the last time I talked to you guys, we just had one Bible study going on on campus, and I was meeting up with students all day throughout the week, and a lot has happened. Actually, the past pandemic year was really encouraging. And uh, we went, we had this one Bible study that, that grew to being almost 18 people. And it's like, this is not a Bible study anymore. This is becoming a much larger group. And we started to have more students wanting to serve and help. So this semester, we made a huge shift to having multiple small groups and a biweekly large group meeting. And I particularly appreciated that because in our small groups, what we're really trying to do is just to get students to have real lively discussion around God's word. The point isn't just to get all the right answers, but to, to just get people excited and willing to wrestle with what God's word's saying. But in large group, I actually get to preach to students. I get to speak the word of God into their lives in a very direct, focused way. And that has just been awesome to do. And it's been particularly encouraging to do that, knowing that there are many non-Christians in the room. And I, that was the one thing, just hearing that there's a lot of prayer warriors here. I want to throw a through, few prayer requests and kind of stories with that uh, your way. One, one person, one non-Christian I'd really like you to pray for is a, a girl named Trinity that's a freshman that I met um, this semester. She has been coming to uh, our Bible studies and, and a lot of other things, and she was unable to come to our last large group this past Friday. And so I was meeting up with her, and I was like, uh, I'd love to look at the passage and just discuss it with you since you won't be able to make it. And we were doing John chapter 3, the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And we had a really good discussion of just how Jesus isn't wanting us to come with, you know, all our religious credentials and all our moral, be, you know, everything that's great about us, our, our resume. He's wanting us to admit we, we need a whole overhaul in our life. We need a brand new heart. And she actually was getting that. She said, and she said, uh, I, I've recently been seeing how helpless I All the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day that you give us to draw our hearts together 
to you and to your word. We thank you that we can know that whether we come really worn out and tired from this week or, or, or excited and ready to hear your word, that you are at work by your spirit through your word. And so we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds by your spirit, that you would help us to receive all that is here with faith and love and humility. And we pray that these words would not stay here, but would bear fruit in our lives. We pray most of all that we we might see more of the beauty and glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're a human being here this morning, I can venture to guess at some point in your life you've had this experience. There's some thing out there, some new musician or band, some book that you read, some new hobby or activity, some post on Facebook, maybe it's a a video of your grandchildren doing something funny or walking for the first time, that it's so, that thing is so interesting, so beautiful, so funny, so compelling that you just got to like tell everyone about it. And sometimes maybe it's not just a thing. Sometimes maybe it's a, a person that you've gotten to know or you encountered. Several years ago, I was on a hike in the Nashville area. That's where I went to school at a school called Middle Tennessee State University. And I'm just going along on this hike. And as I turn the corner of one of the bends on the hike, I see the front man to one of my favorite bands, Jeff Tweedy from the band Wilco, just on a hike by himself. And my, you know, my jaw dropped. I'm like, this is the last person I'm expecting to see on this quick afternoon hike. And I I had to talk to him. So I went up to him and I was like, I'm really sorry. I know you just like want to be on this hike, but I've got, I've got to at least say hello to you. And he was very gracious with me. I could tell he was a little annoyed. He just wanted to be by himself, but uh, he even took a selfie with me. And uh, so, you know, I could prove to my friends, I really did see Jeff Tweedy on this hike. And, and there, that's what I did. I, I went home and immediately, I, had, I lived in this house with five other guys, and I had to go tell them, I, you're not going to believe what happened to me this afternoon. I met Jeff Tweedy on a hike. And they were probably a little annoyed with me, especially the ones that could care less about Wilco. But there was something about being face-to-face in the presence of this person that I respected and looked up to that, that just made me had to talk to others about it. We can't help but share about the things or the people that really excite us. When we're thrilled with something, it's going to overflow beyond our lives, into the lives of those around us, one way or another. And here in this psalm, we see the writer demonstrating just that. He's experienced this blessing of knowing the covenant God of Israel, and he's too thrilled to keep it to himself. And so, as we look at this psalm this morning, we're going to flesh that out. We're going to consider what is this blessing itself? Why does it have to overflow? And then, to what extent does it overflow into the world 
and the lives of those around us. So first, let's spend some time thinking about what exactly is this blessing that the psalmist is so excited about. He opens up with the words, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And then this short little verse is immediately followed by a selah, which we don't know exactly what that was, but it was most likely a deliberate musical interlude, some kind of pause. It it was as if there was so much packed into that one little verse that the psalmist had to just stop there mid-sentence to get everyone to reflect over what he had just said. The psalmist himself, and even composing this verse, was probably reflecting on another passage that would have been familiar to Israelites. From Numbers chapter 6, the ironic blessing when the Lord tells Moses, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The psalmist is thinking about that promised blessing that they would have heard again and again and again. And before we dig into that, I just want to note even what he's doing here. Because it's a, it's a great moment for us to learn, too. He's taking this blessing and rewording it into his own prayer. And I think one of the things we wonder on a basic level is, how do I get to the point where I'm truly delighting in God in a way that could overflow beyond me? How how do I move from him just being this abstract idea to this thrilling personal reality in my lives? Well, one way we see the psalmist doing this in his own heart is by listening to God's words, meditating on them, and then bringing them back to God in his own words, in his own prayer. It's as if the psalmist, he was looking at that Torah scroll, looking at number six, and just sat on it for a while, and finally was just caught up in awe of it. There were no longer these dusty words on a page, but they became living and active. His meditation overflowed, and now we have it recorded for us here in this magnificent prayer and song of praise. But what was it that that triggered that? What, What did he get as he was doing the meditation? What was he so excited about, about this blessing? Is is he thinking, oh man, this means God's going to give me a beautiful, big house, Uh, that job that I finally wanted that pays really well and is a lot of fun. He's finally going to give me lots of friends. He's going to give me healthy kids. He's going to give me a perfect marriage. Those are certainly good gifts from God that we should thank him for and and, and in a sense are a blessing, but that isn't the central blessing that the psalmist is fixed on here. The blessing he sees in that promise, the blessing he's seeking more of is the blessing of God's presence. In in the words of uh, him I really like, beneath the cross, of Jesus, the psalmist is asking for no other sunshine than the sunshine of God's face. And we see this all over the Bible. 
blessing being associated with God's personal presence. And in, in fact, the worst thing that you can experience is God hiding his face. We see that all over the Psalms. Don't hide your face from me. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from me? And so the big, beautiful, compelling reality that the psalmist is getting excited about and wanting more of is this reality of Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't just want God's gifts. He wants God himself. And so the question for us this morning is, what, what are we seeking after? What blessing are our hearts meditating on? Is it that growing bank account, our children's happiness and success? Maybe your kid and it's moving out of the house and being free of your parents and their rules. Or maybe it's something small, it's a new gadget or it's a house renovation or it's the next career promotion. What our hearts pause and meditate on and fixate on really matters. They're the blessing that we're seeking after, but the question is, will they deliver? And I can already give you an answer merely by pointing out that the quest for these things seems to never end. I know that's the case on my life. Once you get to that next stage, once you graduate college, once you go out of your parents' house, then you graduate college, then, then you get engaged, then you get married, then you have kids, there's always something else that your heart seems to fix on that, want, that you want, that you think is finally going to bring you joy and peace. But the reality is the greatest, the most fundamental blessing, the most lasting blessing we could have is God's presence. And so we should ask what the psalmist here, make your face to shine upon us. So that's the blessing that God, that, that the psalmist is fixed on and he wants for the people of Israel, God's personal presence. And in some ways, we could just stop there. I could just say, I'm done with the sermon. That's what really matters. Seek after that. But the reality is, we're still on verse 1. This is only the beginning. What happened as the psalmist meditated on this blessing was that he had this great realization. This blessing of God's presence wasn't meant to end with Israel. It was so big, so massive, how could it stay in the walls of Jerusalem? And maybe he, he got there because he was also thinking about another key passage about blessing in the Old Testament, in the Torah. In Genesis chapter 12, where we hear the Lord saying to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As he considered that passage, it hit him. This Blessing that Aaron and the priest were to pronounce over Israel was never meant to terminate with them. 
It was the starting place. It was the opening of this great fountain of blessing that would overflow to the ends of the earth. God's people were blessed to be a blessing. And even the structure of our Sunday services, especially in the Presbyterian Church, remind us of this every week. The service ends with the pastor pronouncing a blessing, a benediction over God's people. And I think if you, you ask most people, if you asked Matt, why do we do that every week? He would tell you that it is meant to send us out in the world with God's blessing upon us so that we might spread it to all the different spheres and places that we find ourselves in. We're not filled up here on Sunday mornings just to have this own personal, individualized experience of God's presence and and then go out and live just comfortable, self-centered lives. The Holy Spirit won't let us do that. The blessing of his presence is too big to be contained. It's going to pour out. And, and in fact, you could say it's, it's dangerous not to go with that flow of having it pour out. There was another pastor uh, that gave a sermon on this psalm. And in it, he mentioned that he knew of this NYU study that was done on trends with families that were generally well-to-do professionals that had kids and they had household incomes of anywhere from like a hundred to 150,000. So pretty well off financially. And they saw over a 20 year period that there were these escalating problems with mental health and even teen suicides had doubled in the group. And they concluded this, they wrote complete financial security Excessive freedom to learn and explore. Provision of very wide opportunities for entertainment, recreation, education. Good things. These things have been discovered to lead to apathy, laziness, inability to commit to goals, attitudes of entitlement and decisiveness, moodiness, irritability without provocation, low confidence, and insecurity. Even when... You know, take it out of a church setting. We look at it and just the sense of financial blessing. If, if we take that and turn inward and, and focus the blessing only on making life perfect for our most inner circle, the crazy thing that happens, it seems to be the study is indicating, and I've seen it in, in real life in many ways, is that those waters of blessings become stagnant and gross. It doesn't work. This objection of keeping the blessing for ourselves ends up backfiring. And I think the same is true for the blessing of knowing God. Back, back earlier this summer, I went on a hike with a student to check out this spot that we thought we might want to take RUF to. It's called Robinson Falls. And it's this beautiful falls kind of hidden up in the mountains that not many people know about. And so we went on a little hike up there, and, and we got up there, and there was some locals that are up there. where They'd driven up with their ATVs, and um, they were showing us, okay, here's the safe places to jump into the falls so you don't hit the rocks. And uh, one of the things that really struck us when, when we jumped in was the water was just so 
crisp and clean and refreshing. It felt like I had just taken a shower after I had gotten out of it. And we were talking to some locals there, and they were saying, yeah, this, this water is so fresh and so pure that you really could drink from it, and you'd be fine. Now, there's another spot near Indiana uh, called Yellow Creek. That's uh, a, a lake that's of still water. And I, I can guarantee you, none of you, just by looking at it, would dare sip in it. And if you did jump in the water you'd probably immediately want to take a bath, take a shower when you got home. That's the difference. Those two different spots is the difference between having a blessing that is channeling through us, is constantly flowing out, versus us storing up that blessing for ourselves. It rots. It gets stagnant. It gets gross. And we just want to keep it to ourselves. The overflowing blessing of knowing God in the gospel is meant to be the stream of water in our lives, constantly fresh because it's constantly flowing out into the lives of those around us. And I want to emphasize again this I'm not just trying to throw a new religious duty or chore on you. I'm trying to point out the natural flow of our hearts when we delight in something. We want to share it with others. That's really what the gospel, sharing the gospel is supposed to be. We're we're all doing evangelism. I was doing evangelism for Jeff, meeting Jeff Tweedy, the front man. Maybe you're doing evangelism for some great Steelers play you saw, or again, something amazing that your kids are doing. You got to post it on Instagram or Facebook and show everybody. We have no problem sharing about the things that really wow us. Evangelism may seem weird and awkward. It may feel fake and forced. But I don't think that's because we just haven't read enough books on evangelism or we have the wrong technique. It it likely is because we aren't actually delighting in God and resting in his presence. If we're not thrilled with Jesus personally, it is going to feel forced and faked to talk to him about, to to talk to friends and family about him. Uh, To put it more crassly, how can we sell a product that we're not even buying ourselves? So I know for me, whenever I am, I'm feeling burnt out, I'm feeling tired, I don't want to share the gospel anymore, I'm not motivated to give to the mission of the church I need to go back to experiencing and knowing God's presence, seeking him in his word and in prayer and in community with other Christians. I need to, to call out, to ask him, make your face shine upon me so that your saving power might be known throughout the earth. So the blessing of God's presence Driving you home, it's this thing that should overflow to those around us. But that's not the only thing the psalmist wants us to see about this blessing. There's one more caveat he adds on to the end of this prayer in verses 6 to 7. He shows us how this blessing even renews and restores creation itself. And we read in in verse 6 and 7, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends 
of the earth fear him. I kind of have to backtrack a little bit on what I was saying earlier about those other gifts and blessings that we're often seeking. While that's not the focus of of what the the psalmist is really fixated on right here, God's blessing still often is connected to those material things. In fact, that is why it is so easy to place those good things over, over in importance over God himself. Because another way you could translate the earth has yielded its increase is the earth has produced its harvest. The psalmist is not just trying to paint this abstract, spiritual, in the clouds picture of God's blessings. If God's going to show up in our lives with his personal presence, he doesn't just show up at our front door empty-handed and is just like, hey, I'm here, aren't I enough for you? No, he shows up with a bouquet of flowers and a whole lavish meal that he's made. When God's presence enters into our lives, enters into the world, it makes the world fruitful. It brings a harvest. It's interesting that if we look back just to the previous psalm, Psalm 65, we get a really vivid picture of this. The psalmist writes there, You visit the earth, talking about God, and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, and for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. God cares for his creation and he provides richly for us. And the significance this has for us is that when we're thinking about bringing God's blessing to others, having it overflow beyond us, we're not just talking about merely just sharing the gospel with them, though that certainly is at the top of the list and the importance that they would get that, but the blessing overflows as well in the ways that we bring the fruitfulness and the beauty of the earth into people's lives. And when we take part of cultivating that, and using it to serve others, we're blessing them. I mean, think about it. When the earth is yielding its harvest, God is not the one who's out there physically doing the farming, picking the grain. Men and women are. God's blessing comes to the world through the hands of ordinary people like you and me. often in really ordinary, mundane, even unpleasant ways that we may not even see as a ministry. I mean, speaking of the Reformation, and it being Reformation Day, one of the big rediscoveries of the Reformation that Martin Luther strongly emphasized was this, that all vocations matter, that he said God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. He wanted all the people to see that what they did mattered. Even lowly, ordinary, mundane things were bringing 
the blessing of God to the world. I love how C.S. Lewis really drives this home, this fact that as God's presence enters into our lives, the world becomes more fruitful, more real, more lasting. Uh, In his book, The Great Divorce, it's this story of uh, this character who gets a tour of heaven and hell. It's fictional, obviously. Um, And the narrator, the main character, has this really interesting observation when he's in heaven of what, what heaven was like. He says, it was the light, the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different substance, so much solider than the things in our country, that men were ghosts by comparison. Moved by a sudden thought, I bent down and I tried to pluck a daisy, which was growing at my feet. The stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. I tugged till the sweat stood out on my forehead, and I had lost most of my skin off my hands. The little flower was hard, not like wood or even iron, but like diamond. I I love that picture. I think it falls in line with so much of the theology of creation and of the new creation that we see in the Bible, that God's presence is coming to make everything we love about this world more real, more beautiful, more permanent. God's saving power going to the nations doesn't make everything about the world and the nations disappear, but it enhances it and establishes it and purifies it. God heals and restores the earth the more he comes close to it. And we see that fulfilled in an even more vivid way in the Father's pursuit for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. When God wants to send his blessing, assure that 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 Genesis 12 Abrahamic promise of blessing comes to fruition, what does he do? He sends his son, not only to just preach, repent and believe, but to heal the sick, to feed thousands. I mean, think about his first miracle. It's almost too earthy, too scandalous for a lot of Christians to admit. He turns water into wine to keep a wedding party going. And that's why Jesus really is the ultimate answer to the psalmist's prayer. That the blessing of God might overflow beyond Israel into the ends of the earth. And we read of that in the prophecy of what Jesus would come to do in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And skipping ahead a little bit, the Messiah is speaking here. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. In the gospel, we are seeing God pour out the blessing of his 
presence through his spirit on the man Jesus Christ and through him causing that blessing to overflow from God's people to the ends of the earth. He is the one that will cause the earth to yield its increase. But it's not going to be just this temporary harvest, but it's going to be an eternal one through his resurrection from the dead. A harvest that's not only springing up from the ground, but from the hearts of men and women. Righteousness and praise sprouting up before all nations through Jesus. That's what we see promised at the end of the Bible in Revelation. And yet for that to happen, the father had to turn his face away from the son. What we are seeing with Jesus on the cross is the exact opposite of the prayer of the psalmist. We are not seeing Jesus's, God's face shining upon Jesus. We are seeing the blessing of God's personal presence removed from Jesus. He, he says, why have you forsaken me? And he receives on the cross the, the answer to the prayer for blessing that we deserve. So that we can confidently pray with the psalmist, make your face to shine upon me. Overflowing curse was poured out upon Jesus on the cross so that we might receive this overflowing blessing. And so this psalm is an invitation to receive that blessing from the work of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection and then become a part of making that blessing overflow to the rest of the world and seeing the joy that is to come through that. Let me close us in prayer. Father, we confess to you that much of the time we are prone to seek so many other things that we think will bless us. No wonder our hearts can be apathetic. We are often far from you. And so we pray, first of all, and first and first most, that you would draw us back to you. That you would give us a spirit of prayer and a hunger for your word. That we might be like the psalmist and meditate on your word. And that that meditation might explode into a desire to see all the earth come to know you. We pray that you would shine your face upon us so that your saving power might be known to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to the whole world. And help us to look forward to the day to, to where you, we will see this prayer become reality and the light of your face restoring all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final song. Yes. Yeah. Let's do that.